Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. Hi, hey, hey, everyone. Hey. And on today's episode, we talk about the top five documentaries. Yeah. I'm gonna say the top five as of. Right now. As of right now, or like by whatever limited definition that we have. Okay, the 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 top five documentaries. The top documentaries. <laughs> Do I? Does it sound like I say documentary when I say documentary? No, I hear okay. doc. I've made a play on words. No, okay. The only reason I ask is because I said the word documentary as an improv suggestion uh-huh. um, the other day in my improv class. That I and teach. the kid started quacking. And at the you? kid started quacking because he's like, "You said documentary." Quack quack, Mister Tuxworth. <laughs> so okay. Kylie, uh, of course, we're here to talk about documentaries uh-huh. because we watched the greatest documentary of all time about penguins that was released in April of 2019. Yeah, because I won't even say March of the Penguins is the best. It's the one that David Attenborough did, and it might be called Life in the Arctic. That's what I think. I also don't know if that's a TV doc or not. I don't know either. But it's a good one. Yeah. It, that's, that's the one that's closest to being like for adults. March of the Penguins is also questionably maybe for adults, but maybe children. Well, Morgan Freeman's there, so I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean anything. It just means Morgan Freeman's there. <laughs> Are you saying that there's like an age limit? Like, oh, oh you're Freeman. going into uh... a Morgan Freeman movie? I gotta check your ID. Yeah. <laughs> Must be 13 to see Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a PG film he's been in. The closest thing they're not they're PG thirteen, but the closest thing maybe Batman. Maybe Evan Almighty. Lie to me. Oh, not Batman. Bruce Almighty. Swear to me. But maybe Evan Almighty. Uh, that might be a PG film. He had to. Oh no, the Lego Movie Part One. Whoa, that's that's just for thirteen and older. But here we are. We're here to talk about documentaries because yeah. they don't release a lot in the theaters that often. Although last year, several were released in the theaters, at least three. Yeah. It, it, na- wor- nationwide, I, I should say, spe- specify. Yeah. I think that one of them opened here. And here's what I'm going to say. The one that opened here was Won't You well, Be My Neighbor. Yeah. Um, if something opens here in the Tri-Cities, uh-huh. that is... A big deal. Yeah, it's usually got at least... It's on over a thousand screens at least. Yeah. Um, Was there only one of them that opened here? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess... They Shall Not Grow Old played here in March? February? Yeah, but that was a Fathom event. But it was here at AMC. Oh, yeah, for like a day. Yeah. And we didn't go. Well, I actually, like... It was one of those things where I could have, like, skipped out on something, like, work-wise. Uh-huh. And I could have went, but then I was like, uh, it's, I should probably work. You would also, I think, had to have paid the full price. Because, I would have, yeah. And I think it would have been in 3D. That is also true. I'm going to make a statement. Okay. I don't need it to no. be. No. I don't need Peter Jackson's dad projects to be... In three I am interested in seeing that movie, though. I am, too. Yeah. Uh, and my dad, my comment about Dad Project is not, like, me slandering. I agree with that. In the same way of, like, Steven Spielberg's 
the post was a dad project because he went through all the Nixon tapes. Yeah. And I was like, that was a Sunday afternoon for you, wasn't it, Mr. Spielberg? Because he was like, I want to really show the in-depth process of how the paper gets made. Yeah. Not like the, but no, not the writing, but how it gets made. Like, let's do some shots of how it's inked onto the paper. You know, like his child was there. He, like, one of them. He's got like a billion. He was like, listen. Does he? Like nine. Wow. He's gonna. I, I, I'm put gonna, put his money to work. Good job. But like he's like he's like adopted. Yes. Some, so, yeah, yeah. but like and like he married. He got has some stepchildren. Right. So All right. I, I don't know. Like there's like nine. Papa Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like the Coppola family tree. Only none of them are in film. Every what? Oh. <laughs> Isn't one of them, one of them was in the airport movie, The Terminal. He, yes. He, his... he breaks a suitcase and it... She? No, like it's a girl. Yeah. And Tom Hanks breaks her suitcase. Yes. And she goes, oh my gosh. And then he loses his meal tickets. I think so. And then he runs after it and that's why the guy doesn't trust him. She's been in a couple. I think as you were saying, she was in the post too, was it? Yes, she's the one that hands the documents to the guy, and he walks into Tom Hanks' office. Wow, back to Tom Hanks. Yeah. And Tom Hanks is like, I don't got time for this. So he walks into the office next door, and then he, and then he gets it in. There you go. Um, yeah. So documentaries aren't released in the theaters very often, so we took this opportunity in which a documentary was released nationwide... And Penguins. we went on this adventure. And we went on an adventure. Of I, trying to name the top five best documentaries. And did we succeed? No. 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 We Do- have limited we have limited resources. Yes. Which is why I might say that this list might actually be better categorized as a <laughs> five worthwhile documentaries. Five good documentaries. Or like maybe our five Favorite documentaries as of today. Yeah, because I I had said to you, I was like, you know, we could redo this list in even, like, six months, and it could be totally different. Because we could watch six... And and I also think that this is such a big, broad topic that we... Usually when we do something this broad, we do ten or something along those lines. But I think for here, for these purposes, just sticking to five. Just, I think, five documentaries that we each want to introduce a little bit. Um, I know for me, uh, my rules, my provisos, my quid pro quos, uh, it had to be a documentary, number one, you know, the easy one. Uh-huh. Uh, I had to not talked about it recently, so I had two documentaries make my top tens, um, and so I took them off just so I could talk about other ones. Okay. So for me, and I, if you have at least one of them on there or something... Great, fine, no worries. It wasn't. You don't... It wasn't a twenty. It wasn't a end of the year. However, it was in one. But That's you fine. had not seen the documentary, so I had to talk in the vaguest of terms. Have I seen it now? Yes. Okay. Um. So I have mine is a quote unquote memorialist to OJ Made in America. We talk a lot about that throughout 2016 and mining the gap, which I talk about recently on our best of 2018 episode as well. And I, both those documentaries. I love to death. So I would definitely say they deserve a spot on this list, but they have been recently talked about. So go watch them. Um, I have a few of those that fall into categories as honorable mentions. However, they are not my number 
blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I probably could have done that. I think for me, I have categories, and I don't think that these are the only definitive five categories. I just think that these are the five categories that I think I have enough knowledge base to maybe categorize. Mm-hmm. And something like OJ, since it's over eight parts, I think it feels like it each part actually addresses a little bit. So, like, some of it's a sports doc. Some of it is a crime doc. Some of it is about him as a person. Uh-huh. And so I just I felt like it crossed too many genres anyway. And then, I mean, Mind in the Gap, I could pretty easily put into one of my genres. I just talked about it, so. Yeah, um, I broke it down into, like, the topic, like, the categories that I had seen. Yes. <laughs> the most I of. will say that, like, this for me is the category, topic we have done that I feel the most, like, I have the least amount of knowledge base on. I was really excited to spend the last ten days or so just watching mostly primarily documentaries because I've always said the sentence out loud I don't think I understand what makes a quality documentary and by trying to trying to watch more of them and watch what are considered to be the best of the best documentaries then I think I might have at least more of a grasp on the form of documentary filmmaking, but not, I'm still by no means like, do I feel comfortable having a long winded discussion about the form of documentary making? I think I can just sell, tell a little bit more about what I think makes a good doc. Yeah, and I mean, what makes a good doc will be different for everyone. Yeah. Um, there's a list on Letterboxd I'm trying to find. And I don't remember the list name, but I remember films that are on it. So I gotta go to the film and then see if it's listed on the list thing. Fair enough. It sure is not. You may hear in the background of this episode our friend Goldie Friends. She is here as well. She is. The, do- the list that I'm trying to find on Letterboxd is called, like, here it is. It's called Documentaries for People Who Want to Watch More Documentaries But Don't Know Where to Start. Ooh, good list. This is a very good list in which they have a lot of very mainstream documentaries. However, that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and what they are doing is they are giving you a introduction into it. And then from there you can kind of start to move on by itself. And it, I've... There are a lot of documentaries that I've heard on here. There's a lot that I have not heard. It's a list of about... Uh, there's like 102 on here. So like there's a wide variety but and a bunch of different topics. So if you are interested in documentaries, that's a good way to start. Any... Who is that list by? Um, Sarah. Nice. <laughs> no, no, but they can at least search that by that yeah. username. Sarah and then the moon emoji. Sarah and the moon emoji. Great. Yeah. She's called Documentaries. For people who want to watch more documentaries but don't know where to start. Perfect. Uh, Kylie, that actually dovetails very nicely into my inquiry of the Half Square in Fortnite, which was going to be, hey, Kylie, if someone is interested in watching more documentaries, what is one documentary that doesn't make your list that you would recommend? Like on a where to get started kind of basis. Huh. That's an interesting question. Um, 
I, I think the answer is on your list, though. Okay. I think my answer might be on your list. Okay. I'm going to go with Hoop Dreams. Okay. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons why I, I would say Hoop Dreams is that I think that we have, a, as a society, a stereotypical view of documentaries as being boring because mm-hmm. they're real. Yeah. But I think that what's very good about Hoop Dreams is that it takes a story that is not, that is, on the basis of it, is not a unique story. However, the way that the documentarian, uh, Steve James, Steve James focuses on his subjects and the way that the story gets told, you're very engrossed within that story, even though it on paper that story is like yeah there's like lots of cases of this mm-hmm. not strange at all but the way that it's done there is very good um this is a good time to talk about hoop dreams because hoop dreams is not on my list oh okay yeah um yeah, yeah. this is a good call uh the only reason hoop dreams like a there was a different film that means a lot to me that falls into the genre of sports doc um but and Josh, then space jam isn't a documentary yeah, it's actual footage, Kylie. It's of him when he went to Looney Tunes Town. Okay, jeez. Well, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. Um, I should have. I should have. I should. Should have just let it go. Yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't yeah. give this fire any fuel. You keep talking about Space Jam, Kylie. We'll do a whole episode on it. Yeah, but then we'd have to address the terrible people who helped make it. We certainly would. Um, my and the other like lightest knock that I have against Hoop Dreams is it's long. It is. And at times it feels long. And that's not for, not that the character, not that the people in there, okay, this is what I'm going to struggle with is because I want to call the people in the film characters because I have come to think that I think good documentaries transcend to become the better documentaries when the people start to feel like characters that you can connect with and that you can empathize with. That's good storytelling. Uh But I understand that the people are people. So I want to lay out here that if I say the word characters accidentally or on purpose even in a film, I'm not trying... You're talking about the subject matter. Yeah, I'm not trying to belittle the people in the film by any way, shape, or form. It's actually kind of a respectful thing because they have become something more than what uh, just a person in a documentary mm-hmm. anyway that being said I like the people that are in this documentary and I think that they, it's told super super interestingly and and I, I like what you say in that the film itself is about is not about a unique subject and the fact that we especially since Hoop Dreams have come out we see more and more films about the socioeconomic disparities and the uh, patriarchal and oppressive institutional systems and the racial institutional systems that hold down members of society while pretending to prop them up. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of stories about that. That doesn't mean that this one is any less good or any less entertaining. Uh, the the people in it are very fascinating and very interesting. I like them. There's just it covers six years and there's a little bit in the middle there where I'm like, well, I don't need all of this information. 
Anyway, that's me being stupid amounts of nitpicky. Hoop Dreams is a wonderful movie and a great addition to a great way to get into it. I will say that for me, Hoop Dreams um, and The King of Kong were two of the first documentaries that I got into. Is that the and video saw. game one? Yeah, it's the one about, oh man, I can't remember what his name is, but he tries to and he does eventually set like the Donkey Kong record, but then he himself becomes a pretty controversial figure in video gaming for some of his tactics, which are considered to be maybe not above the line. They might consider to be cheating a little bit. Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell, there it is. Um, what I... I learned about Billy Mitchell from the documentary Man vs. Snake, uh-huh. where it's probably very similar, but he pops up in it, and I'm like, get away from here, Billy! Yes. Yeah. And I will say that The King of Kong does deal with that a little bit. That's a good place to start, too. My recommendation actually is going to be... An, uh, the thing I was going to recommend is on Netflix, and I think part of it being on Netflix is a good... Firefest! Firefest is a good way to invest. And it's actually a very recent documentary. It's from last year, and it's called Shirkers. Okay. Um, Shirkers is... And I'm not going to talk too much about what it is about, because it is... It's weird. It's a strange... It's, in that it's, it's, I would consider it to be in the same vein of a crime documentary where there is something that has happened. The word you're looking for is investigative. Investigative, yeah, like an investigative documentary. Mm-hmm. And there's something that happens with the making of a film in the 1990s that is entitled Shirkers. And then the entire documentary is unraveling the who, what, where, when, why, how of how it happened. I think another thing that you can do is that if you have an interest in something, yeah, go to your computer yeah, and yeah. go Pac-Man documentary. Hit enter. And it's there. Um, oh, there's not a good one here. It's just King of Kong. Never mind. So it's not, it's not a fail safe. Ah, uh, isn't there one about Pac-Man? Ah, uh, it's not popping up. Okay. <laughs> it, there, my answer is maybe. Okay, great. The, another one that I enjoyed watching, but I don't know if it's the best documentary in all the world, but again, for that similar of like, oh, uh, like thing I enjoy was the Bat Kid documentary, uh-huh. which is the story of how that, how this community of San Francisco came together to support this uh, Make-A-Wish child who wanted to be Batman for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a very good story as well. Oh, there's another Batman one called Batman and Bill, which is on Hulu streaming right now. Um, I think it's a Hulu original, so to speak. And it's about... Oh, man, what's his name? Bill. The guy who actually created many of the elements of Batman that you remember. That's not Bob Kane. Uh-huh. But Bob Kane gets credit... For creating Batman. Yeah, Bob Kane is very much like Stan Lee in yeah. the way that Stan Lee is the poster boy. And a lot of that has to do is because he had such charisma. Yeah. And he was such an extrovert. While people like Stephen Ditko and Jack Kirby were a little bit more introverted and they weren't, yeah. at, they weren't the face of it. Okay, so I broke this up by... Oh, wait, uh, hang on. I got to do the contact information, then we can jump in. Hey, friends, if you want to answer the inquiry of the Half Squared Fortnite, which is... What's a good starter documentary? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. This is a five-star review or any star review. As well as hit that subscribe button. (laughs) 
Good call. It's the sound of film. It's the sound of film. <laughs> in the in the projector. Yeah, absolutely. That helps us get more listeners. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast. And now on with the show. I brought the, I broke this down by documentary subject and not by how the not the type of documentary. A because I looked up the type of documentaries and I said, I guess I don't really understand what these mean. So I then was like, we're gonna break it down into subject. I mean I think in genre. Genre. I think in terms of the styles of documentary, the only ones that I can really get like definitively find is Cinema Verte. Is that the one where it's just like pictures? Yes, it's. I mean, I, I mean that. It's it's a documentary in which the footage or or pictures or whatever is being told is presented without any other narration. So it's just there's not there's also not talking heads. So nobody is sitting there talking to you as being interviewed. If they are being interviewed in that sense, it is a live like cam- they're talking to camera in moment. Man, I thought you were saying not stop making sense. No talking heads allowed. Ah, there you go. (laughs) And then narrative doc, which is exactly what it sounds like. There's a story that's told from beginning to end. I have a question. Yes. Um, is there, is there, does the narrative doc have to be from a third person point of view or can it be from a first person point of view? Does it matter? I don't think it matters, but I think if the first. Because I also found a sub thing where it was like, there are two different version of whatever i mean i think that like you could say that point of view it definitely switches the style of documentary but in the broader terms yeah and then the last one that i think i could maybe even really nail down is what you just investigative doc Mm -hmm. like and that's just taking a crime and investigating it or a question or a a mystery of some kind Yeah, yeah yeah There are others. Like, there is... I mean, I guess there's a music doc. Mm-hmm. Um, my categories are also similar to genre. Um, should we see? Should we say our categories, see if we have... Crossover? Yeah. I have true crime slash investigative. I have that. I have sports. I have that. I have history slash biographic. I don't have that one specifically, but that is a very good one. Um, I have music. Uh-huh. And then I have a nature. Um, nice. I've got the only ones I so I've got um, about so I have sports and uh, investigative uh-huh. or crime. Uh, I've got about people, which to me were so- biographic, biographical, yeah, yeah, yeah um, in those ways. I've got about society, uh-huh. which are ones that are about an issue of facing our society in some way, shape, or form. That could be historical. It could be modern. Either way. Yeah, I ended up mixing those together because I yeah, was absolutely. like, I want to talk about these films. Yes, <laughs> and then I've got about art, which okay. is about an artist of some kind, about uh-huh. film, te- about film, television, painting, um, dance, what, an artist of some kind. So about art, because okay. I felt like there was a lot of those also. There, yeah, I think that even as we were, even as I was making these categories, like I had like. I had different categories listed and I was like, I have to cut one of these yeah. or I have to meld them together. And it, your number one of art is room 237, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We didn't even talk about it. The like, documentary that I hate. Yeah, absolutely. That I yeah. was so angry after watching. I had to take a walk because I was just like so furious. Actually, room 237 is my one through 237. So I'm just going to talk about that movie five times. Oh. 
<laughs> you want to die? I'm going to let you know, room two, 237 did not even make my honorable mention. That's good. It's bad. It's not great. It's an interesting examination of what people believe about Stanley Kubrick's films. Yeah, but they got crazy people. <laughs> well, <laughs> crazy people are people too, Kylie. What I do, like... The way that that film is made is that you don't see the people talking. Yeah. It's just clips of different Stanley Kubrick films. To the point of I had not seen all of his films and like Tom Cruise was in a taxi cab and I was like, is Tom Cruise like acting out this documentary? Yes. Yes. Not the case. He actually was. Yeah. Not the case. Oh, no? It was from Eyes Wide Shut. Maybe your eyes were wide open. Were just shut. All right, Kylie, do you want to go first or should I go first? Okay, so I'll go first. Okay. My number five is going to be the nature. Nature docs? Yeah. Yeah. So, Josh, you remember how Free Solo happened? Oh, yeah. And then all I could say was like, you know what I care about more? Oh, this documentary. I watched this one. You watched Meru? Yeah. Okay, so so my nature documentary is Meru. Um, Something that I... I, I don't love Free Solo as much as a lot of other people do. And I think that part of that has to do with the subject of the documentary. It's just someone who I, as I was watching it, I just couldn't get on board with. I couldn't get on board with his, his reasonings and like his relationship around others. And I won't say that it's a bad thing that a person like him may exist, but I just wasn't like... I wasn't engaged with him. I wasn't engaged in his story because his story was like, I want to do it because I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know that the feats of this documentary have to do with the way that it's shot and how like epic in scale it is. Mm-hmm. And I won't take anything away from that. Something that I care about with Meru is that the subjects of those I care much more about and their journey and their story. While again, I'm a little bit like... Do you really need to? Okay, good. I'm glad that that's there for you. Yes, yeah. I'm. I'm more on board with them. Okay. Um, and so like the three people that we follow, you just I I, I cared so much about them and what they were going through, and I think that Jimmy Chen, who is actually on the climb with them, yes, as they're recording, I think that he does a very good job of putting this story together and this climbing documentary was something easier for me to watch than free solo as free solo i was like wow i'm getting vertigo and i'm gonna puke um so it's jimmy chin Uh and one of the guy's name is savon and then i don't remember the main guy's name um the guy who he's like i'm gonna scale meru and jimmy chin's like yeah let's do it let's bring this guy or the other guy's like let's bring this guy but um uh Renan. Renan? Oh Oh no, Renan's the guy whose name I thought was Savon. Conrad. Conrad. There you go. So uh Jimmy, Renan, and Conrad. Mm-hmm. Uh I say this in my letterboxed review, and I think that it's very important in terms of Meru versus Free Solo, which are the only two films by Chin and his uh, partner, partner Elizabeth Chai. Yes, I don't know her last name. Difficult to pronounce last name. So sorry, well, but we can you know at least spell it. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I was reading your review. Um, oh crap, I lost it because I clicked on your name. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, V A Vess. Okay, so I'm going to try. It's going to be Vess Vess Hurley. Okay. V A S A. R-H-E-L-Y-I. Perfect. There 
the comparison of Meru to Free Solo, I think, very much depends on which film you watch first. Ooh, that might be the case. Because I will say that I, after watching Meru, was much more invested in Free Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, be- not that like, Meru is bad. We've seen and we've already conquered it. So like, I, okay, so like I, no one talks about the fourth guy on the moon. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, so... It's your argument. Yeah, exactly. So with Free Solo, what I appreciated about it is this guy, I think, though not a person I want to hang out with, is not the most interesting part of that documentary. And he's not the thing that makes that documentary. It's his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she's the one that makes that thing work. Uh, In ways with Meru, I think Chen is too close to the subject matter because he's, he's part of it. <laughs> he is the subject matter to actually be able to pull back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that Meru as a film is a little bit in awe of the achievement that's happening here. And if you watch Meru, like they go through so much, their lives are on the line constantly and they narrate as they're going yes like this is what is happening we are going to die and like you kind of are like yeah i know that you're talking to me from the future but i'm with you you're going to die right now jimmy chin you did, had, you, did you know that free solo was like yeah <laughs> yeah it, it was, was a shot, prequel yeah it was, it was shot before yeah absolutely <laughs> and like i was like heart palpitations with them in this moment but what i felt was that they they were, had ropes, so they were fine. They were ropes, so they were fine. <laughs> no, what I felt was that they were so in awe of the fact that we survived this moment and we did it, which, by all means, <laughs> you a hundred million percent should be, that what they didn't do and what Jimmy Chin didn't do was take time to flesh them out as people mm-hmm. and to say we are people who accomplished this we are just at this for the film it felt like to me they were just climbers and hikers and filmmakers who did this accomplishment for the fact that they needed to do the accomplishment like there was no real any more so than in free solo that guy did it because he felt this inner desire to do it because his his brain doesn't have a danger sense. Yes, and you could say similar things about these guys. Uh-huh. It's just there wasn't anything grounding them because the one wife character or ex-wife character, kind of unclear to me on what that is, on what their relationship is. Uh-huh. It wasn't, I guess, as central to the feature. So I think with Meru and Free Solo, it's what you see first because they're basically the same film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it, we got free solo. Never mind. We got we two. did get free solo. We got yeah. two here. I resent my statement. Yeah, because I was about to say like, well, I saw Beirut in theater, and I was like, crap, I saw that one in yeah. theater too. No, because when you said we only got one, my brain was like, we saw one together, and I couldn't place what it was. It was yeah, yeah, free solo. Um, I just love Beirut. It's good. It's <laughs> very good. It may if like if I had a nature category, it probably would have made my other. Yeah. My other contenders for the nature were Free Solo, Blackfish, and Grizzly Man. Oh, Grizzly Man. <laughs> Grizzly Man makes my honorable mentions in another category. Person? People. About people? <laughs> yeah. yeah. About crazy pants people, but people. <laughs> Grizzly Man is so hard to watch. Yeah. Like, oh goodness. Um, 
Okay, my number five is my category called About Art. And for me, these were defined, as I said, about films, about the making of art in any way, shape, or form, about artists themselves, any form of art as well. Uh, and so, to me, these are the films, specifically films about filmmakers um, and about film itself, because that's kind of my passion, my, my like, heart. Um, and so these are kind of the films that brought me into documentary and in realizing it as a subject matter. And so some of my honorable mentions um, are... Jim and Andy. Not Jim and Andy. Oh, because so that's sorry. the one you're talking that's about. That's the one I'm talking about, yeah. Uh, uh, are um, F is for Fake by Orson F- Welles. I love F is for Fake. Um, it's great. Um, Faces Places, um, Crumb, American Movie... Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Side by Side, which if you've not seen Side by Side, it's, it's, a, it's, direct, it's, it's, it's a Keanu Reeves it's passion project. It's voiced by Keanu yeah, Reeves. Yeah, absolutely. Did um, he do a, like a preteen MySpace cover shoot first for it? Possibly. And then he went to GQ? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the best worst thing that ever could have happened, which is one of the many documentaries about Sondheim that's really good. There's also Six by Sondheim which is really good. But this slot came down to two for me. Um, And the one that didn't make the list is a documentary called The Pixar Story. And the reason The Pixar Story didn't make my list because it's a documentary that I love and have watched several times over. It's also just an advertisement for Pixar and it kind of blows past a lot of the difficult parts of Pixar history to just like be like Pixar is great but I love it for what it is it's a really well made documentary about Pixar being great so the one that I pick is Hearts of Darkness uh, Hearts of Darkness oh, I'm is so angry oh no I'm so angry that we missed that trivia question yeah well it, it happens it's okay yes uh, Hearts of Darkness is the is Put together footage filmed by Mrs. Ford Coppola. I don't remember her first name. Uh, but Francis Ford Coppola's wife shot a bunch of footage uh, over the course of the, I don't know, three to four year process, if not longer, of making Apocalypse Now. Eleanor. Eleanor Ford Coppola. Um, George Lucas is in it. George Lucas is is there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's not directed by Eleanor, but it's her footage. It's Fox. Facts. Facts by George Hickenlooper. Uh-huh. <laughs> These names aren't real. Uh, so this film documents the absolute crazy pants, bonkers experience that it was to make... Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, which is a film that, as you watch it, you're like, this had to have been the most difficult and crazy film shoot ever. Not because you're looking at it and being like, oh, this was expensive. Oh, this looks like they blew some stuff actually up. Oh, this looks crazy. But like, oh, I know what was going through Martin Sheen at the time. I know what was going through Marlon Brando at the time and Dennis Hopper at the time. And like... And so you're just looking at how these people and like what it goes to. And then you start to figure out what an ordeal 
that Francis Ford Coppola made this documentary in the choices that, or made this film, and the choices that he was making to bring Hollywood culture over to the Philippines, which is where this is shot, and to try to, I don't know, for lack of a better word, temporarily colonize the area that he was shooting. And he's just so far down the rabbit hole of sanity that you of insanity that you just can't imagine the choices that he's having to make and then this, the hurdles is like uh, I don't want to spoil too much of like the actual quote unquote adventure of making Apocalypse Now but it is nuts and, and once I've watched Hearts of Darkness I'm like no this is the better Apocalypse Now I'm like this is better than that great movie which that movie has some flaws, but, but I really like that but movie. We should note, yes, that Belgium's treatment of Congo is terrible. Yes, that's what the original book is about. Yeah, which they take the name from. But then he's like Vietnam, which um yes, because Hearts of Darkness is the um is the book that Apocalypse Now is based on, mm -hmm. um and essentially. You could count this documentary in the same way of like going up the river. It, it's it, Ford Coppola takes a similar path. Yes, although I will say what Francis Ford Coppola does is he doesn't quite go far enough, but in some ways he does want to examine what America did to Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and that and that's why he did it. But yeah, never... have you seen either Apocalypse Now or Hearts of Darkness? Of course not. Okay, great. And no worries. I just, yeah. <laughs> I was just surprised Anne was watching it one day. I was like, what are you doing? Well, we just watched Apocalypse Now. Yeah. So I want to watch this. No, she was watching Apocalypse Now. Oh. She wasn't watching this. That's yeah. weird. Th thank you. She doesn't like war films. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And like, I came home and she was watching it. Um, okay, my next one is music. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, everyone, we're here to talk about my favorite music documentary. Ah, uh, house. I'm going to make a statement. Yeah, what's up? I don't listen to the Talking Heads oh. outside of two songs. Interesting. Yeah, so like, I like the song Psycho Killer and I like Once in a Lifetime. Okay. Uh, but other than that, I'm always just like, I'm always just like, mm, I'd be okay if we don't put on the Talking Heads soundtrack. Fair. Um, But, okay, so what... The reason why Stop Making Sense is on here is that you could watch this and be like, this is just a, this is just a concert, a film yeah. concert, which wrong, it's three film concerts. Whoa. But one of the things about this documentary and why it's so engrossing and it's so engaging, and even though I don't love this music, is that I feel the passion between um, our lead singer and this entire band. I feel the love and the connection between everyone who is on stage. They, with their movements and their energy with one another, tells a story better than a narrative yeah. could for this. Like, this is far more engrossing. I see their relationships. I see their connections more than them saying like, oh, you know, I really like Rodney. Yeah. Like, we've known each other since third grade. I feel their love and energy and how much fun that they're having on stage and that's why Stop Making Sense is such an interesting music documentary because I don't know anything about Talking Heads but I when I associate Talking Heads I always think about this documentary and I always think about you know what that is a band that are tight and who love 
the performance. They love their music. They love being there with the crowd and mm-hmm. being in the moment. And they love their music. I feel their love of music. Yeah. And so I think that it's just so... Jonathan Demi just does such a good job of putting together these shots so that you can see that relationship in the way that he edits it and the times that he focuses on the lead singer but other times he doesn't focus on the lead singer he focuses on other people throughout and you're just like Demi good job yeah I agree with you um there's something kind of magical about how this doc comes together in the way of just watching that concert footage Mm -hmm creates this wonderful um, presentation of who these people are, you know? And to me, I love what you said about how, though the lead singer, he has got the most magnetic personality and he's clearly somebody that Demi is interested in. He does take time for everybody else in the band as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this one a lot. Not just this guy in this over... This too big suit. Yeah. It's been a bit since I've seen it, mm-hmm. but like I do remember really enjoying it. And like there was a there was a time where I, I had rented it from the video store and I had people over and I didn't own a CD player. And so our options would would have been to just play music from a laptop. And I was like, wait, hold on. Let me put this on. Yeah. So we just had the documentary playing in the background. Nice. And so like I I, I think that I feel like I don't have the bias of being like, this is great because you're talking heads are the greatest band ever. Right. But as someone who is not a fan of the talking heads, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Makes it more memorable. Nice. Uh, my next one. Oh, wait. My honorable mentions for oh, yeah. music. Sorry. Montage of Heck, Amy, Whitney, 20 Feet from Stardom, Anvil, the story of Anvil, and a band called Death. Nice. My next category is one that's called About People. And I just decided that this was the catch-all for movies that were specifically about a person and or their... A person and their life and or an achievement within their life and or their everyday life. And then the director that takes that and makes that into an interesting piece of film. So my honorable mentions for that are something like Grizzly Man, uh, Streetwise, Grey Gardens, Gyro Dreams of Sushi, Life Animated, uh, Life Animated, which almost made this, uh, Man on Wire, which a lot of people have Man on Wire as like a really great documentary. And I watched Man on Wire last summer, maybe two summers ago at this point, and I enjoyed it. I just didn't like connect with it as well. And so like there's nothing against that documentary. It was great, just not... I feel like a lot of documentary is personal taste. And so, um, yeah. So this one I give to a movie called Tig. And Tig is an artist because she is a uh, stand-up comedian. However, I don't feel like this movie is about her art (laughs) as much as it is about her and her process of dealing with uh, cancer that she had developed over the course of her life and then not only with that the film also deals with some other tragedies that happen to her life while she is also dealing with cancer and I watched this film for the first time when it, the year it came out which I want to say is 2015 15. and like I was homesick 
and this was just on Netflix, and so I was like, great, because it's a, I think it's a Netflix original uh, documentary, and to be able to just explore what this, how this person is able to handle all of the tragedies that come up in her life, and how just to watch, what I appreciate about it is it doesn't make a big deal out of the fact that Tignataro is a quote-unquote celebrity in the loosest sense of that term. Mm-hmm. It does make a big deal that she is a person and that she ha- will make life choices and how she will deal with these things is what the film is about. And and so that's what I really appreciate. And it creates and it paints this portrait of a person who is just struggling to deal with everyday life. And it's, it's for me, became this really inspirational film because you can relate to it. And though your problems may not be nearly as serious or as life-threatening as what she's going through, you just are like, yes, I have this inspirational person who not only is making light in the best way possible about her situation, uh, but showing that there is strength in humor and there is strength in trying to find joy in your in your life which i just felt to be really powerful and really moving uh and then it led me to listen to her half an hour set which is considered to be one like the greatest comedic sets of all time which she just kind of went out to the comedy store and talked about her life at the, at this point and it's it's really it's good yeah so tig t-i-g also streaming on netflix Okay, next I have history slash bio. History slash bio. Um, Which, as I look at my choice and I look at the honorable mentions, I'm like, wow, I sure picked something that is not as culturally significant, but we're going to get there. That's okay. Okay. It's not Harlem County, USA. Okay. It's not Paris is Burning. Okay. It's not How to Survive a Plague. Okay. It's not Shoah. How to Survive a Plague is one that I wanted to watch, and I just couldn't find it very readily available. I got a DVD from Netflix. It's not yeah. The Act of Killing. Mm-hmm. It's not 13th, which we did an episode on. Yeah, absolutely. It is, of course... <laughs> it is, of course, an honest liar. An honest liar. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, I gotta get the guy's name real quick. An honest liar. While you're looking that up, I do want to say that... When I was doing research on like the best documentaries of all time, many of them that I found were available streaming free. You had to either kind of go through Amazon Prime or YouTube or uh, Netflix, Hulu, kind of use your combination of them. Uh, also, Canopy was very helpful for finding some some of mm-hmm. these docs. Um, but yeah, a lot of good docs are readily available. I think there's only one on my list that I had to pay for to see um, there. And so, yeah. Okay, my mine, so the amazing, there, so, sorry, An Honest Liar uh-huh. is about uh, James, the amazing Randy, okay. a magician, Ooh. an escape artist. Okay. And what what an honest liar does is it tells the story of this magician who... He's very flat out and very just honest about, like, bros, I'm not actually doing magic. Like, there's always a trick to what I'm doing. There's always some secret around it. And what he does is he talks about the community of magic and of psychics around him and how he, his disdain for how their treatment of their audience goes. Because Uh he says, I go and I do these things because it entertains people. Right. So people get their money's worth. However, when... A psychic goes out 
to do what they're doing. They're going out to trick people, mm-hmm. to possibly humiliate people, mm-hmm. and to give them false hopes. And so it's essentially an honest liar is about this man who kind of is facing his own, like, have I tricked people? Have I gone through and done the similar things that I am against to the people who have paid to see my to paid to see my shows who are interested right. in my performance pieces and I just really pre- I really just love spending this time with this with this uh man as he goes through and he explains like his trials and tribulations and how media backlashed against him and how the magic community has backlashed against him and everything but he is always very honest not a slayer. He's uh, always very honest with uh, the audience, which is not something that you might associate with a magician. <laughs> yeah, because they're always like my secrets. It's up my, it's nothing on my sleeve. There's I mean, something up that sleeve. I mean, listen, the amazing Burt Wonderstone is, if nothing, if not honest. Uh huh. Yeah. They tell you they're gonna fool you, but then they do. But then there's the prestige. So that film told us what was going to happen. Yeah, fair. It did. Like, <laughs> take one. Yeah. yeah. Michael Caine. <laughs> My name is Michael Caine. Oh, very good. And I'm going to tell you how this movie goes. You see the bar? Uh-huh. <laughs> Keep an eye on it. Okay. <laughs> the prestige. Yeah, that's essentially what happens. Yeah, great. Perfect. Nice. Wonderful. That sounds really good. Yeah. All right. My number three. My number three is where we get to my uh, investigative category, my crime category. And I will say that I don't have a lot of films in here because, frankly, I or in my honorable mentions list, except for the ones that I watched recently, just because this genre of film is one that I felt like I knew. I was like, I know, investigative documentary, like, they're all the same. You start out with a crime, something happens, and then we unravel the case, and then, oh, maybe the person we thought it was all the time was guilty. Maybe they weren't. It feels... That's very stereotypical. Really formulaic. Uh-huh. And I do not believe that that is a true assessment of the genre. I felt like that was my feeling on it. And then having watched at least a couple this week through, I was like, oh, that might be the most popular form of the genre, but it's not the only form of the genre. Now, I will say that I think both of the cat- the ones that I watched this this recently do fit that genre. They do fit like, here's a crime, here's here's the person that they think, they think did it, here's the person they think also did it here's who the gut here's who the court said did it here's why they're right here's why they're wrong i mean to break it down in that basic sense sure but i think that the what the true investigative documentary works really well is by taking these people and analyzing who they are and analyzing and getting you to think about who they are in relative sense of the crime and then also what the crime has to say more about the society around it. And that is where we get into some really good investigative stuff. And I'm sure there's more than what, um, I'm sure there's lots of them out there that are very, very good. And I have a feeling this one is also on Kylie's list, so we'll talk about more. But I'm just gonna go with, uh, is it not on your list? Is it on your list? Josh, who knows? Who knows, okay. 
Um, you asked if the, the one that you ha- are going to talk about is on my list. My answer is no. Yeah. And you don't you don't know me. That that's fine. I think that, I think my other I think the other one that I watched this week is on your list, or at least maybe on your list in some way, shape, or form. Who knows? Life's a mystery. We'll find out. So we're going to talk about the thin blue line. Not or, the thin red line. Not the thin red line. As a few people have confused it with. As some people may have joked about. Okay, it's fine. Did not, you talk about it? I did. Oh, I wasn't yeah. talking about you. Oh, okay, I fair I was talking enough. about real people. Oh, fair. Yeah, uh, the thin red line is a... In case you guys didn't know, Josh is a figment of my imagination. I just throw my voice. That, you're really good at this, I'm, by the way. I am the next Jim Henson. You are the next uh, <laughs> honest liar. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just dislocate my shoulder. <laughs> ah! Um, the Thin Blue Line, not the Thin Red Line, uh, directed by Thin Red Line, directed it's a by, film. yeah, and it's um, it's, it's Tree of Life guy. Why am I blanking on his name? Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. Uh, whereas the Thin Blue Line, or just Thin Blue Line, is directed by one of the maybe on the Mount Rushmore of documentary filmmakers, Bay? Errol Morris. Bay himself. And I Did was... you know that this is technically not considered a documentary? It's not. It's considered nonfiction. Why? It was. It could not. It could not win best documentary, or it could not be nominated because it was nonfiction, not documentary. I don't understand the difference. Okay. Well, I I'm just telling you what the Academy told my boy. Who what they told Bay. Oh, sad, sad day. <laughs> As I was looking through Errol Morris's. Um, Film list on Letterboxd. I think this might be the only film of his I've seen. I that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, not uh, that like th- th- that's for no other reason than just like me. I feel like a lot of his films are not that readily available. This was the one I had to rent. Um, although it was like three dollars, it wasn't expensive, um, and it's on several sources. I know I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a good portion of them. For a really long time, Standard Operating Procedure was my. F- favorite documentary but it's not anymore <laughs> I spelled his name wrong I gave him two L's not two R's oh man um, so fog of, the fog of war is what he won his Oscar for his, and, yeah. he's got the unknown known which I've seen he has standard operating procedure the B side uh, American tr- Drama. He has Dark Wind, which is a narrative story and not a documentary. Yeah. On Netflix right now, he has Wormwood, which is a very interesting series. Okay. It's 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 it's, it's an investigative like series kind of thing. Um, and Gates of Heaven. It's about a pet cemetery, Gates of Heaven. Ooh. But spelled with a C. Uh, there's also one that's called, um, Vernon, Florida that I've heard of that gets a lot of play. Uh, but The Fog of War seems to be his most, I don't know, culturally relevant. And it's an examination of Vietnam. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's either The Fog of War or The Thin Blue Line. Yeah. Are the top two. So I went with Thin Blue Line, um. He's also got The Umbrella Man. Woo! Which, like, I have, it's only, oh, it's only six minutes. And The Thin Blue Line I don't... I was clipping along at a good pace. I was into it. The people on the screen were popping out. There's a lot of... It's told in a lot of interview and then recreation of events that they talk about. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of narration and dialogue. It's a very wordy 
film. And I was going along and I was like, this is good. This is great. This is like, I'm enjoying this. I didn't think it was going to make my list until the last 30 seconds of the film. Oh, you, the end. The end of the film. The, the M. Night Shyamalan twist, as it were. The, the twist, as <laughs> it were. Um, and I don't... What do you feel about spoiling? Because I don't, I don't necessarily want to do it, per se, but also, like, if it's a little in the film, I'm all right with it. Um, here's what we can... Here's what I think what we, we can okay. say. Is that this film, like a few other true crime documentaries that we might bring up later today, had an impact on a court case. It had an impact on a crime committed and kind of the outcome of it. And yeah. Errol Morris, because he's the slyest person on the world, uh -huh. sly as in like cool, not like yeah. sneaky. Yeah. Like he, fly is the word I wanted. Yeah. He, uh. So he's sly like sly, yeah. not sly like the fox. He figures it out. Yeah. 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 Because he's this. He's he's Bay. No, you you didn't finish your sentence. You're like because he's sly, and then he went oh, on, he's, on a bit. He's the he's the slyest person in all the world. He's the wait. What does he get because he's the slyest person in the world? I'm confused. He figures it out. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying now. Okay. Smoking gun. Yes. <laughs> um. So, what's presented in the last? 30 seconds of the film. And then you have to rewatch the film because you're like, what the crap? Recontextualizes <laughs> everything that comes before it. Mm -hmm. And yes, you feel like you have to want to like rewatch it from that whole time through. Although I will Bruce say... Bruce Willis a ghost this whole time. No one talks to him. I will say that they present... So the case itself is of a shooting of a police officer out in Texas um, in early late 70s i want to say and the person that they convict for it that that trial randall adams randall adams mm -hmm. and i will say that two different people are presented in the film as possibly being able to have committed this murder and i what errol does is that he does not show his card he doesn't show his card he a hundred percent allows the audience to make up their own mind based upon the evidence presented mm -hmm. but i will say that with the evidence presented i do not understand how the jury went the way they did well, like jo i just don't get it well josh happens all the time i know <laughs> i know it does um I think that we are tiptoeing around another documentary, which did not yes. make my list. I, it's on my honor of a mention. So Paradise Lost is not on your list. No. Okay. Okay, we're gonna get. We can talk about Paradise Lost then, right now too. Yeah. So, so we've been tiptoeing around Paradise Lost, which Paradise Lost is the thing that made me not be able to watch as many documentaries as I wanted to because I watched the first yeah. one and I was like. Oh, there's three other films I have to watch now, all in one day. Yeah, so you have been spending the better part of two months watching documentaries. I just had like ten days. So like Kylie's well-versed in this right now at this moment. Uh, interesting that that was your reaction to Paradise Lost. Because for me, I was like, oh, I know there's two more. I guess I want to see the... I, I didn't feel the desire to per You se. also only had ten days. I had two months. Right, but even <laughs> still... 
Like, I didn't feel the desire to watch the other two. I was just like, great, I want to read about the other two. You know, because the result of that case clearly seems wrong, but there's not, it's not as satisfying. And I even think reading through what happens in all three, there's not a satisfying end to the Paradise Lost story. Which, is like, the... The only thing I can say is that it's because sometimes real life doesn't. doesn't yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I appreciate that they don't change the narrative to make it any more interesting. I agree with that sentence. Um, but I was just so captivated by kind of just like what happened. So I have an interest in true crime, but in the ways of not the people committing the crime. I don't care about Ted Bundy or Charles right. Manson in any sense of it. I care about how justice is handled, how evidence is handled, and how essentially court proceedings are handled. Yeah. I have, there was a point in time where I was like, maybe, because I was like, maybe I'll go to law school because I have an interest in that section of true crime. I have more of the, let's carry out the justice. Yeah. And as I was watching Paradise Lost, I was like, this is amazing that they were foolish enough to let these documentarians into this courtroom. That's something that's a difference between like Paradise Lost and Thin Blue Line are about 10 years apart, maybe a little more than 10, Mm -hmm. but about 10 years apart. And and Thin Blue Line has zero footage of the courtroom and it's all hearsay tape and court drawings. Uh And I feel like Paradise Lost might be one of the first times they let filmmakers into the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that's what makes Paradise Lost so interesting. And there are, in OJ Made in America, there's lots of, yes. there's lots of footage of courtroom things. Yeah. And after court, after a, a trial is over with, there it's easier for people to get access to those tapes. Yeah. However, when a court case is going on, it is very hard for, to say if they will ever allow another camera in there at the time of the proceedings. Yeah. Just because of what happened with everything, the fallout that mm-hmm. came. Because so, Peter Jackson, all the way from New, from <laughs> from New, New Zealand. Zealand, was yeah. like, hey, mates, this, this is wrong. And him and Fran Welsh, get over here and meet up with Eddie Vedder. <laughs> okay, so... I love that there is two more of these made because society gets behind Paradise Lost and gets behind the fact that apparently these boys did not do the crime. Um, It's just... There is no evidence that they committed this crime. It's all very... It's all circumstantial. And it's all based upon one testimony which... I was not in the room, so my statement, though a judgment, is based on opinion. That seems fairly clear that it was coerced out of a person who was doesn't have enough mental functions to not get a confession coerced out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, however, documented that that interview was seven hours. The tape is not seven hours long. Yeah, but the invest, but the interrogation started in the morning and they didn't turn on the tape until the evening yeah so even at that point at seven hours it was clear that the police officers had an idea of 
who did it, mm-hmm. and they didn't care about the truth. They wanted to pin it on these people. Now, I am interested in this, and I ask you the question about Paralyze, Paradise Lost 2 or 3. Do they ever examine that? Do they ever examine that idea? The... Y- of the investigation? Of that, the fact that the investigators and the police officers weren't... They were so focused on finding the person quickly, uh-huh. and they thought they knew who did it, that they didn't care to do actual detective work. It is. However, the investigators will have almost nothing to do with the documentary. Yes, reasons, absolutely. The, docu- the people making the documentary. And so that's also still like... It's unsatisfying to that case because they can't get the people there. And much. that's something about Paradise Lost as compared to Thin Blue Line, mm-hmm. which is the reason Thin Blue Line makes my list over Paradise Lost. And that is because, um, I think that Thin Blue Line, I understand what, like, a it's a, it's a landmark thing for what it does to the case, mm-hmm. but b, I watch that film. And I know the cultural relevance of, A, police shootings, what they mean now, how we can look at them from the other side of the coin. But what Errol Morris does that's really genius about it is he allows you to understand why it was such a big deal for these people and for their community that this case gets solved like that Uh and why it's important to... America as a whole as to why police shootings are punished to the extreme that they can be punished to. Well, I think that something that Errol Morris has... Errol Morris, we keep just full names. That we... That he benefits from is that he's able to invest... He's able to interview them before... I'm pretty sure before he gets the... Before the last 30 seconds happens. Yeah. And because the investigators don't know. Yeah. It changes their willingness. So, like, after the first one, there is this cultural stigma around already the investigators. The first Paradise Lost. Yes. That they might be like, no, no, I'm not going to go on there and I'm not going to put my neck out on the line with that. And I think that that's one of the reasons why... That ends up being the case. And I think that if if 2 and 3, and I haven't seen them, if they were more interested, or even if 1, I'll, I'll speak to 1, if 1 was more interested about why mm-hmm. the officers and investigators and lawyers did what they did to these boys, mm-hmm. then I would be more interested in the Paradise Lost story. I think that Paradise, I think that the, what the directors are... F- less focused on with the investigators and more focused on the town itself yeah because it's a it's modern day witch hunt yes and i think that was what like hit them to it and that's that was their focus of it yeah was less of the the procedures and more of like the social of it and like how people just quickly how quickly they were yeah and i'll just say like in to kind of wrap up this comparison and this conversation about these two films both are worth watching, mm-hmm. but I think Thin Blue Line does both elements of that mm-hmm. really well. And that's why, to me, it's the more complete doc and the more complete piece and something that the Academy should have given it a freaking award for. 
It's nonfiction, though. It's nonfiction. Yeah. Does uh, that mean that they say that documentary or fiction? Is that what they're saying? Josh, um, yeah. we still have two each, I think. Yes. <laughs> Mine is my sports. Sports. Oh, sports is my two-hole, too. Sports. Not when we were kings, like I thought it was going to oh, be. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Not hoop dreams. Not hoop, hoop dreams. Not even step. Not even step. No. No. We're going to talk about across the pond. The Red Army. Okay. It's a little further than just across the pond. Yeah. Um, so, Red Army is focused on so okay so we're americans right yes so what like what do we know about like there's four things that we really know about and the fourth thing is the miracle on ice yes okay great yeah okay <laughs> what are the first three i don't know like, okay guns okay liberty. liberty eagles eagles oh i got it life liberty the pursuit of happiness and the miracle on ice yeah, yeah there you go yeah we got there. We got to the bit, Kylie. You can... You, you, no worries. Yes, America's pastime, Lake Placid 1980 Olympics. The Miracle on Ice. Yeah. yeah. America's pastime. Yeah. That one hockey game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, we've had things told about that, right? Yes. And we've had Kurt, Kurt Russell... Russell. <laughs> he was there. He was there. Yes. But you know what we don't usually get? Uh-huh. We don't usually get the Russian side of Fair. the argument. Yeah. Um, so Red Army focuses on that team. And what the film is trying to do is the film talks... The film paints this ice hockey captain of the Red Team as a national hero in Russia. And the film focuses... The film focuses on the politics in terms of hockey itself. The politics surrounding the game, but also the politics of society, the, the relationship between the United States and the USSR at the time. It's not just giving it the one side of the American, like, right. USA, USA, but instead it's taking a look at the Cold War from a different perspective in terms of this hockey team and this hockey game. Now, I don't want to... There are some technical flaws with this film. Okay. However, the social commentary that they make through sports is so strong and so engaging, and it's very different for someone who only, at one point, had the miracle on ice. And I think that it's important to get... Um, views from the other side. Now, I'm not saying that I side with USSR necessarily. I'm not saying, like, you know, I've totally changed. Maybe we shouldn't have won the Cold War. This, that, the other. Uh -huh. But what I'm saying is, is that looking at how the USSR and how society treated the Cold War and how the metaphor for this hockey game existed with all of it, I think that that is very strong, and I think that it's very important yes. for Americans to have that outlook as well. I agree. I like that this film, and I've seen this film um, a little bit ago, I think when it first came out. 2014? 2014. Um, and, and I appreciated the perspective that it did put on things. Um, it felt like a really good 30 for 30 doc, and there are some really great 30 for 30 docs. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the ESPN series that are sports docs. Um, and yeah, I, I really like this film a lot. I think the most important thing to note about the entire 1980 Olympics is that Canada finished sixth. 
on the hockey t- yeah. in hockey. Yeah. Um, I feel like if we're not talking about how the Canadians finished in Olympic hockey, we're not really talking about hockey. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement. Oh, okay. All right. Um, this might I might get some like like flack for it. Okay. All right. I don't watch the men's Olympic hockey. Whoa! I only watch the women's. I love it. And let me tell you, it is usually U.S. versus Canada in the end. What? Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. Not. Not China? Not, no. Not Korea? No. No, it's... Finland was in there once, I think. What about, like, yeah, Sweden, Finland, Norway? They're not very good. Iceland? No, they're not... Iceland is apparently great at hockey. I've got one source. <laughs> the goalie! The goalie! <laughs> yeah, because D2 was too afraid to make them Russian. <laughs> I mean, fair. They're pretty much just Russia with, uh... Black with jerseys. Black gear, yeah. All right. Um, my number two is also sports. 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 I have my honorable mentions of Hoop Dreams, Gleason, Undefeated. Whoa! What sport does Domino play? Not Domino Gleason. Oh, Brendan. Not Brendan Gleason. What? Man, what is Gleason's first name? Gleason is a football player who gets paralyzed oh gosh on um in the field of play oh, I, he played for the saints i take um, back my no joke. no no he would appreciate your joke he's that kind of guy like he's not he doesn't let his paralysis get him down gleason documentary it's g-l-e-a-s yeah that was what was really throwing yeah. me off his name was steve 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 gleason I remember uh, this coming out. Yeah, it's a good job. 2016. Doc. Yeah, it's a real good doc. Okay. Uh, undefeated. Because this came out the same year as OJ. Oh. Yeah, no. OJ. OJ? OJ was 2017. Uh, that's dumb. You're good. Uh, undefeated Spellbound, which, yes, I'm including the spelling bee in sports. Sue me. Uh, and Murderball. Oh, I will, Josh. You will sue me? OJ was made in 2016. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so sorry. It's okay. I will forgive you this singular time. OJ was... OJ's in the same year as Kubo. Uh-huh. Which is 2016. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, Welcome to the Matrix. What's your sports documentary? Uh, my number two... Okay. ...is my sports doc, is by a filmmaker who I couldn't rightfully leave off. Of this. Michael Moore. Uh, Bowling for Columbine. No, that's not a sports doc. Uh, it's probably, Interestingly it's, enough, it's not about bowling. It's hardly about Columbine. Yeah. It's about guns. The 20th the 20th anniversary was yesterday, and I was reading some articles from like the like principal and things, and I got sad. Yeah. Does Mikey Moore make your, uh, make your list anywhere? No. Okay, he doesn't make mine either. I don't think he's a very good documentarian. No. I think he's a good propagandist. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. And at times, sometimes you need a little bit of propaganda, but, you know, I think his right now. best doc is probably Bowling for Columbine. Uh-huh. Uh, his most honest one is probably Roger and Me. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I have to say on Michael Moore. All right. Great. Uh, the documentarian that I'm talking about who I couldn't leave off my list is Ken Burns. Uh, Ken Burns, who... Oh, had... that's, how, that's a familiar name. <laughs> Ken Burns has a lot of PBS-based documentaries, but he also got other things as well. Um, his documentaries include uh, Civil War, include Wild West, include um, documentary uh, that, in, that invents 
his kind of he's known for a style I really know he invents this style that's because when I oh something I was going to say about the part two Ken Burns um the thin thing document in terms of like the black star there's reaction happening in front of it and something spilling to the ground like that kind of documentary style gets parodied a lot that that thin blue line and i don't know if that continues more through errol morris's work or if it's so. just specific to film that film gets parodied a lot but burns's style ken burns's style gets parodied a lot as there's specifically like a community episode that parodies it but there are other things as well which basically any parody of a documentary where it's just like a slow zoom in on a picture or a pull out on a picture to reveal more as people talk over the talk of it and then you cut to a cutting to a talking head and then we narrate a little bit and like there's not there's not a lot of actual physical moving image in the historical segments it's a lot of like still image that you're just focusing on as the camera pulls in or pushes out that's his style which one are you doing so i'm talking about baseball um, Ken Burns' Baseball uh, is, airs on PBS oh, in a nine-part series originally. Um, is it Baseball the Tenth Inning? There is the Tenth Inning, which oh, is gosh. the secondary one. Saw this one? Um, so the Tenth... So he does the history of baseball from its inception through the 90s through like the, basically he cuts off at 89 because he his original one comes out in 94 baseball the 10th inning covers the 90s through i, th- I want to say it's like 2007 ish when did it come out it's not on letterbox so i can't oh, okay, look sorry. It up. i thought that <laughs> i can i can actually google baseball um, no, I know when that comes out. Oh, the 10th sorry, inning the tenth was inning. the one that I was wondering. Oh, it's 2007 or 8? Oh, I'm sorry, everyone. No, you're fine. I'm you're failing fine. everyone no here. No 2010. 2010. So it covers through 2009. Do you own this one? Um, yes, I own them all. Um, Do oh, you own well, all? I own the 10th inning on DVD. I own uh, the, the 1 through 9 on VHS. I have a question. Yes. If I buy you all of Errol Moore's filmography, will he get his own section? Not just the documentary section, but like the Errol Moore, the Bay section. Possibly? Yes. If you do it for that specific <laughs> intent, then yes. Baseball is streaming on Amazon Prime for free and has been for a while. It's a PBS. So, okay. <laughs> yes. So it's but, kind of free? Yes. Um, I have, but it's, so uh, Ken Burns is important to me because he is one of my entry points into document- uh, documentary filmmaking. When I was in college, he gave a speech at our theater department for our whole college, but through lots of things. And uh, I was one of the people helping work the event. So I got to sit and talk with Ken Burns a little bit, not a lot of it, but a little bit, as well as um, I got to hear his talk and then listen to how he talks about his subjects and his film and what matters was really interesting and fascinating and got me to go into go look about about him and his work and what he said was i have a lot of documentaries you should pick the one that interests you the most if you're interested in my style and format and so of course i pick baseball um there is he like i said he's got jazz he's got civil war he's got wild west there's he's lots got of them. the roosevelt's the roosevelt's and a lot of them are on netflix actually as jackie well. robinson um jackie robinson is he, does he have a separate one about Jackie by himself? Uh-huh. Ooh, nice. 
Baseball, what it does and what I like about it is it takes in these, so each inning, so to speak, is about 10 years, and it's about, it's two hours long. I understand Um, now. Yeah. The 10th inning. inning. Yeah. So he, what he does with it is he runs through the history of baseball, and if it was just that by itself, I don't think the documentary would be as engaging to anybody who is not interested in the sport. What I think it does really well and how it becomes engaging is he contextualizes the game of baseball through the racial divide in America and how if he says that, as we say, that America is its national pastime, as America has grown and changed, specifically in terms of race and race relations, and he uses Jackie Robinson when he finally gets to him in the 50s as his kind of like crux of his whole piece, his thing. And he talks about how pre and post Jackie Robinson, and then he goes into in his later document, later years of the film about how the Latinx community um, and the people from the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Mexico are in how they're influencing the game. And then in the tenth inning, he get because that's where um, it comes in. He gets to. Eastern Asia, Japan in specific, and how they're starting to influence the game. And he, how he does this is he explores not only what the major leagues were, but the Negro leagues, and he explores everything in between all of that. And he contextualizes how and why the game matters to us as a country, and where it goes as a sport as we go as a country. And and I, that's what I love about this film. I've watched this documentary, these nine parts, 10 parts, more times than I can really count. Like I'll just put it on and listen as I'm working and I'll put it on and I'll view it. And so once, almost once a year, I, I go through this piece and it just means a lot to me and it's a really special, important documentary. So yeah, Ken Burns' Baseball. Oh, do did, we yeah. need to do an episode on it? Did I what? Do we need to do an episode on you it? You would have to watch 10 two-part, 10 two-hour-long docu- documentaries. Why two? We're just doing the first one. Oh, you just want to do inning one? Yeah. Oh, wait, 10 two hours? Yeah, so that's like... 20 hours. So it takes a decade oh, per two hours. That's 20 hours, yes. Josh. I don't yeah. like you... I, I didn't say you had to. Uh, if you asked me to pick one, like, which one we would watch, I definitely know which one we would do. we do... The seventh? The eighth? Seventh or eighth inning? Seventh. We gotta stretch. Um, the seventies is a really interesting one. Alright, so Josh, yeah. my yeah. number one, True Crime Slash Investigation. Yeah, here Here's we go. what I want to talk about. Okay. Here's what I want to talk about. Everyone, I feel like in our media today... As I complain about often, is that there's so much talk of true crime all the time. It's so in our society, and that sometimes we glorify it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little not happy with glorifying it. Now, sometimes I see a trailer and I think, yikes, this movie uh, is uh, making uh, Ted Bundy look really cool. Okay, but I want to specify really fast. You're talking about not. You're talking about. Fiction and narrative. narrative filmmaking, not documentary filmmaking, yes. correct? Okay. Yeah. I, there's also some documentary filmmaking that it just 
in some ways I feel still glorifies. I would agree with that sentence because my, my pushback to the thing would have been making a murder. Making a murder. Because I think that glorifies the case and the, the people involved in the case. Yeah. And I don't like it. But, you know, we tread forward. Well, which is why the prosecutors of that case have said, hey, filmmakers, hey, Netflix, you're going to make a season two. We're lawyers. We're going to sue you. From our point of view, because you made it from the other point of view, or we're going to sue you for slander. Like, those are your two options. So, my true crime slash investigative quite a few options there's mm-hmm. citizen four mm-hmm. there's going clear oh going clear yeah there's tickle what is tickle is that what tickle me elmo no josh you need to just okay. i'm not gonna say anything about tickle you're no just worries. gonna have you just need to go you just need to I'm find just gonna it i'm just gonna pretend that it's about tickle me elmo yeah okay oj made in america great yeah paradise lost uh-huh there's the thin blue line great there's even standard operating procedure, but you know what we're here to talk about, everyone? Does your bae make your list? No, Errol does not make my oh, list. Oh, man. Josh, the thing on my list is, of course, Dear Zachary. Dear Zachary. A letter to a, a, letter to a son about his father. All right, well, Josh, what's your number one? You gotta talk about Dear Zachary. Oh, okay. So, Dear Zachary... Which is like your 13th? <laughs> this is like your 13th. Like, which is good. I'm glad. I love this book. Yeah. I don't think I ever want to watch this more than once. You can watch it with me. I will. I couldn't get through Deliver Us From Evil. I tried. Which one is Deliver Us From Evil? Um, it's this lady who goes... <laughs> <laughs> it's about the Catholic... It's about like one Catholic priest, or maybe two Catholic priests... Who went around and, like, abused children and families. Yikes. And it's just the spotlight scenario where they okay. just got moved to a different... Ugh, I didn't... Fin- <laughs> couldn't finish it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so Dear Zachary... Dear Zachary is... Probably not a well-crafted... It's not the most well-crafted documentary. Which... Is one of my issues with it. Yes. However, there's something so personal about this story because it comes from the perspective of a family, a friend of the subject matter. And this is following a true crime event. But what this documentary does that's different from a lot of other true crime is that the documentarian who is the narrator of this speeds through that information because Mm -hmm. he doesn't because you need to know what happened however all of the details and the little things are not important to what he is doing with this story so he speeds through them he talks about them quickly if there is something important he will repeat it throughout yes he'll use it as a motif throughout the film and so that's what makes dear zachary such an important true crime to me is that there's so little focus on the the crime itself, but on the aftermath and how it has affected everyone around it and what the story that is told is so personal and it's so incredibly sad. This is this is not a ha- this this film you just like feel for the people that he is interviewing and you fall in love with these people and there are people who he only interviews once because he's talking about 
friends of the victim. And he only talks to them once or twice. But, like, you hear the story and you fall in love with the people telling the story. But you also fall in love with this the victim of the crime who you never... We never get to meet him. Is it... Just so you can cut this section. Is it too spoilery to mention that the parents of... The, the victim's parents are, I think, the key characters of the film? No, we can say Okay, it. because, like... Because I was going to say that... I think that the victim's parents are... It's like Catherine and Dave. Yes. They become the beating heart, the emotional through line of the film, which I think works really well. Mm-hmm. And I always say, like, don't look up this film. Oh, no, nothing just, about just it. Just watch yeah. the film. Um, but... Which is what Kylie told me when I was watching it. This is also streaming on Amazon Prime for free. If you don't have Prime, it's on YouTube, apparently. It is on YouTube. Yeah. There are, like, Ukraine's... <laughs> the epilogue, which he made, like, five years later, is also on... It's like on... 14 minutes or something. Yeah, it's, it's also a, on YouTube. It's like a news report. Yeah. Um, oh, and you're... I, I... I, I lose words for this because I just I get so emotional with it. But um, I think that the story that it's telling is just so gripping. Yeah. And it's just like the fact that you're doing this not through action. You're doing this by telling us about these people and their reactions. And a lot of times with a narrative, we're always like, show, don't tell. But the fact that we are so on board with these two parents like you're just like yes tell me more yeah i this documentary is really engrossing and engaging um there's a gut punch that happens as with most true crime documentaries there's a gut punch that happens uh about three-fourths of the way through the film and you you just i i personally didn't see it coming um and it just it, it broke me in that way and i think that that was where i realized how effective the film was because prior to this gut punch i was like i was kind of caught up in the fact that like i'm enjoying this story not enjoying but like i'm engaged in the story i want to know what's going to happen i want to know the outcome of it but it, the film is clearly put together and the narrator says this in the film it was clearly put together, I think, for the family and for the friends of the victim. And I don't think it was ever meant to go as, at least not in its creation, meant to go as wide as it did. The title is Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. It's about, it's about, and he's making this film so that his, the son of the victim of Andrew Bagby can know his father. And with that, I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. And I don't want to sound, I don't know, like I'm against that sentiment or anything like that, or I'm trying to beat up on anything that's here. But I think that that does, there's a little bit of a home movies-esque quality mm -hmm. to this. And if I'm, if I'm, and maybe if I had sat down and watched this like first in my documentary rewatch, I would have been a little less like looking at the form and the formality of it mm -hmm. but as i had watched a little bit there as i had watched it somewhere in the middle of my my viewing experience it the fact that the formality of it was a little bit rougher on the edges and in specific the editing can be a little grating at mm -hmm. times 
it took this gut punch for me to come to an emotional level with this movie. And after that happens, you it is revealed to who this movie is actually about. Because that's when the filmmaker figures out who this movie is actually about. And it hits a really nice stride on the way home. And you just kind of are in tears till the end. Mm-hmm. And, it, and this film, such as Thin Blue Line and Paradise Lost, mm-hmm. has helps to change laws. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why this film ends up being released to a mass media. Because I also don't... I don't know if he ever truly intended it to go out... Yeah, as wide. For for anyone else. And... Which I think (sighs) is the strength of it in a way, too. Like, I like the the personal nature of the film. um, And how we get to know the people in the film. Um... I know I'm sad too. Um, it's a it's worthwhile. Definitely don't know anything about this movie when you watch it, um, because the story that it is that it tries to tell is really moving and poignant, especially if you just allow yourself to take the journey that the story is trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, don't I? I would say don't put too many analytical glasses on when you watch this movie. Just let it wash over you. And, it, and then it works out really well. Man, there was something that I was going to totally say about Dear Zachary that was going to be like in its favor and it's I like had thought about it and I was like ooh, as soon as Kylie's done I'm going to say it. And <laughs> I lost it. As, anyway, it'll maybe come back. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Life's a mystery. <laughs> My number 13 film. <laughs> It makes me think about so many things, though, like my relationship with my parents and, like, having to, like, I don't know, if you die, I guess I'll make a documentary for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so nice. I, yeah, I'm a good friend. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, so the reason for me, the interesting thing is that you put this in the true crime category not that I think that like it's not a true crime because as soon as you say that I was like oh that's exactly what this is but what was so resonant for me about the film was the people involved so I actually put it like in my brain in consideration like it was in my people category mm-hmm. like it was in my biography category not so much the, the the crime category but it totally is but I think that just speaks to how powerful the film is when it when it finally focuses on what its true power is mm-hmm. um my number one. This is number 16, by the way. Oh, 16. I was so close, Kylie. Number 13 is The Silence of the Lambs. I was so close, Kylie. Um, my number one is my category that I call About Society, and these are films that their main purpose is to highlight a issue or problem in our society and the people that it is affecting. So I have films in here like O.J. Made in America, The War Room, The Battle of Somay. The Battle of Somay, which is a British silent film from 1916 and is about World War One, and is actually a real, it's on YouTube for freezies. Um, 
because it's an ancient film. It's over 100 years old. Um, and it's these like live shots from the trenches of this battle of World War One, and it's just fascinating to watch through. Um, but it and like Nanook of the North are really considered like the forefront documentaries. Like the Battle of Somme is technically the oldest film considered to be a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth watching. Thirteenth, uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Um, all of those are there in, in these really important films. But what I actually have in, and you mentioned this in our honorable mention. Um, Harlem County, USA. Harlan County, USA. Oh, Harlan. I, I always say Harlem. That's it okay. is Harlan. Harlan County, USA. Oh, I'm glad it was. <laughs> Otherwise, um, I'd have A on my face. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and I actually just watched this for the first time for this rewatch. And I knew it was one of the ones that I really wanted to get to because... Um, I, I knew it was a hole in my documentary uh, landscape. And so it, it has a Criterion release. Um, it's directed by Barbara Koppel, which I was really excited that I could then put a female documentarian on my list as well. Because I don't know if there's a lot of popular female documentarians. Um, I, um, I watched one of them. It's West of Memphis. It's Amy Berg. Okay. She won her Academy Award. I'm pretty sure she won for Deliver Us from Evil. Right now, she has the case against Adnan Syed, um, which is picking up from the doc, not the documentary, the podcast serial, um, on HBO. So oh, that's cool. currently that's currently coming out. It comes out every Sunday, a new episode, and it's just kind of like a follow up investigation on things and like where everything's going. So if you listen to Serial, you might as well watch this. It's interesting that she does that, and then she also does West of Memphis, which is also an examination of a story that we've seen done by other documentarians. Have You, you said you've seen West of Memphis? Yeah, because I, I watched all of the Paradise... I watched the Paradise Lost universe! How does it compare in telling the story or what it wants to say? Because I'm pretty sure it's not, like, an epic-length documentary, um, but, like, it, yeah. It's, um... It's a little over two hours. It's like two, two and a half hours. Uh-huh. Um, and so it tells, it starts at the very beginning and just goes through. It doesn't go in a ton of detail into everything. It actually focuses on a suspect who gets brought up in the third film. And then they don't like, because the second film screws up majorly about yeah. how they focus on a person I was like oh it's like you didn't learn from the first time anyways Fair. Uh... <laughs> I can tell that just by reading Wikipedia articles you can't just you can't just say someone did the crime because they look weird yeah fair without any evidence everyone um and so they kind of focus on that and then they focus a lot on the people not, they don't, not a lot but they focus on the story of the people trying to help get them out so like Fran Walsh, um, Peter, Jackson. Peter Jackson are interviewed. Eddie Vedder, hero Eddie Vedder. Hero shot. <laughs> is also involved in it all. Um, and then it doesn't actually show the three boys until the end of everything. Like, are they interviewed for the piece? At the end. Okay. Yeah. Like, but not very much. The three... Damien Eccles is involved with the making of this. Yeah, I know he's a producer on it. So, I think I think that it also gives a little bit more to the victims. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing, because that's another thing about Paradise Lost, is that 
the the victims are shown, but I don't think that their families are yeah, given as much. Yeah, they're not really. And part of it, I think, might be because they're like. I think it's because the filmmakers want to just cast doubt on them yeah. as people. And so I think that, and as as the film trilogy actually goes on with number three, especially, they do give a little bit more with the to the families. Good. Um, and I think that that's like what they wanted to do more with what's west of Memphis. So, you know, if if you want to. Why not go for it? Yeah, complete the universe. Yeah. All right. Uh, as speaking of things that the are gauntlet, as it were, two hours plus in length. Uh, let's wrap up this episode with Harlan County, USA. Uh, We're talking about a woman. <laughs> director Barbara Koppel uh, goes pretty deep into 1971. I want to say uh, there is a strike in Kentucky, in Western Kentucky, in Harlan County in Harlan County and what this strike is over it is a coal mine strike and it is over the treatment of the coal miners and their lives and their work but what the film itself wants to dive deep into and what the film tries to explore is not so much coal mining and coal miners though that's a huge part of the film the film looks at labor strikes and labor agreements and unions in America and the treatment of the capitalistic uh, corporation heads, CEOs, presidents versus unions and the people in the unions and all of that and all of those things, which today we get union strikes and we get all of this stuff, but it seemed like it was so much more relevant to our country and our society in the 70s. And in this time where there it seemed like capitalism itself was being challenged by these unions, and now because of films like Harlan County USA and because of cases over the course of the the century over the course of the latter half of the 20th century it seems like unions are just accepted. There will be unions, we will negotiate, we might go on strike, but at the end of the day, we're probably gonna come together to compromise on something. That being said- There might be some violence in between. There might be some violence in between, especially in films, uh, especially in this time period where unions are looked at as bad, bad things. Because how dare somebody come in and try to tell me how to run my business? Hashtag, how dare somebody come try, try to come in and tell me how to treat humans better? Yeah, because that's a bad thing. Um, Harlan County looks at these people of Harlan County who on the surface, I will speak specifically for me, are not necessarily a group of society of people that I think I would get along with really well. I think we have a lot of disagreements. However, what this film does, it says, I don't care if you disagree with these people, it presents them as people and that everybody deserves basic human rights which is something that is a true story and that everybody deserves to be treated to the utmost respect and how it does this is it not only shows these people and only shows the people on the picket line it shows how the strike is affecting their families it shows their families it shows how their wives and and children are getting involved it shows how the town is suffering how how this one strike 
changes the course and lives of the people of Harlem County and then that therefore affects the entire country as a whole. And when it does so, this is the, the one Cinema Verite film that I have on here because it's not told through interviews. It's told through the actual people on the picket line and their, their stories that they're telling. And if there is direct interviews to the camera, it is because they, are, they understand that the documentarian is there and that she's there with the camera and is just like, no, I'm going to tell you my emotions right now because you're the person I'm going to rant to because it's going to help me get my story out. There's one technically formal quote unquote interview, and I use formal with like the most like air quotiest of air quotes because it is where she has her camera in the truck window of one of the guys who's on the who's against the protesters and he's addressing her specifically like asking calling her little lady and demeaning her and asking her for her credentials and i love that barbara Koppel just stands right up to him and he's like where and she's like where are your credentials to be here what do you have the right to ask me for mine you know and he's like well i forgot him at home and she's like so did i and i just love that like that's her taking a stand, but also her like inserting just enough of herself into the documentary, but not a hundred percent. It's not about her in any way, shape, or form. It is about these people and it's about their struggle. And this documentary feels so universal. And yes, it is about a white section of our country and about a white problem in our country in a lot of ways, but these people are no different than any other people who've gone through a labor strike or any other people who've gone through a our country creating this socioeconomic human rights divide and people who are being put down for, and people who are being held down in our country for whether it be their race, their sexuality, their gender, their, 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 their uh, socioeconomic status, whatever it is. This film is a beautiful representation of what fighting back means and how fighting back can help, but also the extreme cost of fighting back. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is considered one of the best documentaries ever made. Uh, yeah. It, it's got a, I mean, like, don't read into letter or Rotten Tomatoes, but it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Which I, I never know if that's, like, hard for documentaries well, to do. I think what a lot of times, you see this with a lot of older films, especially really critically acclaimed older films, is that on Letterboxd, there's like, I don't know, 10 or 12 critics uh -huh. who are just praising the film on there. And so it's got that 100% because of the amount of critics that are on there. But, I mean, I, I don't care, man. I like this film a lot. Like, good job, you, you critics who reviewed it. <laughs> um, I just... I don't have much to add to you, to yeah. what you've said, but it, it just does such a good job of giving a personal voice to the people who are yeah. involved with everything and I think that that's what a lot of future document uh, documentaries are trying to do one in particular that you brought up of not having of not seen but I watched for this was how to survive the plague yeah and how to survive a plague I feel is trying to do something very similar to Harlan County USA where they're giving the voice to the people who are there on the front lines now it's years later yeah so uh, time there's been time but I think that the where How to Survive a Plague fails 
I shouldn't say it fails because a lot of people seem to love this film. Yeah. But where How to Survive a, a Plague doesn't rise up to the occasion is just you don't get that raw sense of urgency, emotion of everything. And part of that has to do it's time later. And they may feel that same anger and rage while Harlan County, USA is happening much more in the time mm -hmm. and in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so you feel that palpable sense of energy. Um, and I think that it's just, I think that it was a risk to make this film um, yeah. just in terms of danger and everything. Even in terms of like her life. Yeah. Uh -huh. But uh, what she has, what she, she what she has accomplished, I think, has inspired so many other documentarians. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it just—it's a beautiful film that you definitely like. Go watch it. Go go seek it out. Um, it's on YouTube. It is. I don't know the legality of it being on YouTube, but I will totally say that's how I watched it. Um, if you know, it's not streaming for free in any other way. Um, that's how we watched Citizen Four. Yeah. So Josh. But real quick, new game for you. Okay, yeah. quick game. Okay. Okay. Shoot. So okay, so Blink Check brought up uh, brought up this game today. Oh. Okay. Uh, in their Peregrine episode. I haven't listened to the Peregrine episode yet. Okay. Well, well, it's it's about it's about a guy who okay. hasn't worked since Snowden, but we're getting there. Okay. Uh, so Jogo Jogo Lev, right? Uh -huh. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Lovitz, 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 Mister Lovitz. Lovitz. Um. So he's got two films. Okay. Don't know what one of them's called. One of them's called Snowden. The other one's called I'm a Frenchman Walking Across the Walk. The Walk. The Walk. It's based upon... Two documents. Man on Wire. Yeah. So we have Man on Wire and Citizen Four. Okay. What should be the third oh, film that Joseph Gordon-Levitt should make adapted into a movie? Now, the other thing is that it has to be a, a filmmaker who's fallen from grace a bit. Who has to make this film. Okay, so I'm pitching not only... <laughs> the Doc. The Doc. His character. His character. And, and, and the filmmaker. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do Hoop Dreams. Okay. And he's going to play the coach. Uh-huh. The one who's at the, the school. Um, the private school? The private school. And the director uh -huh. is going to be John Singleton. Okay, here's mine. Okay. John Singleton's a good answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't think I have the director. That's the real hard part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, really, I, I got the I got the movie. Yeah. I just need a director. Maybe you can help me out. Okay, all right. Free Solo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there it is. All right, okay, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> He's going to climb the mountain. He's going to do it. He's going to face El Cap. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> is he actually going to climb El Cap? <laughs> He's gonna be on some. He'll be a man on wires. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Directors fallen from grace. Let's see what happens. Okay. Um. Who is gonna be the like extreme director? George Lucas. Georgie. Georgie Porgy. <laughs> Georgie Porgy. I mean, sure. Kevin Costner? Uh, is he a, as a director? <laughs> as a direct, he's directed. 
Okay, the real answer that I want is uh-huh. not a fallen from grace director. Who is it? But I want Jimmy Chen to just do it. Like I want him <laughs> to go back and like make the narrative. Oh, six directors who have completely lost their touch. Let's oh, see okay. What, All right. See who's gonna come back. Well, because I mean I don't know if Zemeckis like he hasn't. Yeah, no, he probably lost his touch. M Night Shyamalan. Ooh, M Night. Ridley Scott. Uh huh. Wes Craven. He can't do it. He's no. dead. Uh huh. George Lucas. Uh huh. See, here's the reason why I said George Lucas. Okay. One, George Lucas loves playing around with technology and, like, things. Maybe he'll have fun doing it. Two, in the Star Wars prequels, you know what he really struggled with? What? Emotion. Yeah? So maybe, if you give him this character, he might be able to do something. George A. Romero, he is also dead. Tim Burton, ah, no thank you. So those are our options, Josh. Um, uh, I think I have a better option for you. Alex Payne. Alex Payne. Alex Alexander Payne. Payne. Yeah. That would be a really weird movie. Oh, I think that's that. That's a good one. I think that's the answer. Can I tell you my pitch? My my who I thought of just here in a second. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez. Oh. <laughs> Alita Battle Angel yes, himself. Alita Battle Angel himself. Fallen from Grace, Robert Rodriguez. Uh, because, (laughs) because I think that he's got the right amount. Because, like, what I was looking for was, like, somebody who is Jimmy Chin levels of bonkers, Uh but who makes narrative film. Mm -hmm. Because I think you need to have that, like, extreme take on it to make Free Solo work. So I'm going to go Rodriguez. I think he's going to, I think, like, he doesn't have to blow anything up. He's not blowing up the mountain. Maybe there's, like, an explosion in the camper. I think Alexander Payne is going to make it very odd and weird. Uh-huh. And that, that fits more with these other two Joe Go Love films. Uh, do you have anyone in mind to play the girlfriend? Um, Emma Stone. Okay. Uh, sorry, is that a bad answer? No, no, it's not. It's not. I'm going to counter you with my thought. Oh, I have another answer. Okay. I have a good... I have a... A I, better answer than Emma Stone? I... That's a she was bad. It's a it's different, different answer. Okay, uh-huh. Um... It's the girl who we always think is Jennifer Lawrence. However, she is not Jennifer Lawrence. The girl on the train. She's in Smag 7. Oh, Haley. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Bennett. Haley Bennett. That's right. There it is. There it is. Uh, my pitch? Uh-huh. Shailene Woodley. Mm, no thanks. I think that... She's doing Big Little Lies. She can do other things. Come back to movies. I think maybe she doesn't want maybe to. She doesn't want to. Fair enough. I think that to me, she's got that kind of like. Why are you doing this? Characteristic <laughs> about her, and she's also you could believe her as like I'm part vegan, right? Like that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Haley Bennett, I don't believe has eaten a vegetable at all. No, she got a girl next door about her. Not that that's bad. All right, well, in case this episode didn't need to be any longer, there we go. <laughs> Kylie, I want to come back at you because... <coughs> I want to come back at you because 17 hours ago when we started recording these two podcasts, you said the sentence, I haven't felt emotionally passionate about anything in a while. Yeah. Well, here it is. <laughs> 17 hours later. 17 hours later, you here sure it is. You showed me. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you've been watching documentaries for two months in preparation for this episode. Yeah. It's just the film itself you were because I remember even when I was like let's do penguins 
you're like, fine, but we have to pair it with top five documentaries. <laughs> like, you were like, done, sold. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, this is a task. <laughs> yeah. So you jumped in. Head first. Head first. We're far from the You were kind of like Sisyphus. You're like, all right, I got through Paradise Lost. Oh, wait, there's another one. Gotta push it up the hill again. Oh, wait, there's another one. I watched okay. all three of them in a day. Yeah? And then it took me a while to get to west of Memphis, because I was like, I'm gonna let the Paradise sit for a while. Can I tell you that I thought that the, that the West Memphis 3 was like about people who lived in actual Memphis, not a town named West Memphis? No. Yeah, there you go. You did not tell me that? No, I said, can I tell oh, you that? Oh, sure, you can tell me that. Yeah, great. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a town in Arkansas? Yeah. It's called West Memphis. They don't believe in DNA. <laughs> Stupid self. Ugh. All right, friends, on that note, if you want to join this conversation, and why wouldn't you? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. It's a five-star review or any star review, and we will read that out here live uh, to tape on the podcast here. You can also hit that subscribe button. Hello. Was that the sound? It says hello? That's so creepy. That helps us get new listeners. Hello. Morning. Is it Elder Price? <laughs> What are you doing over there? Josh Newt. What? What's up? Well, won't you be my neighbor in your honorable mentions? It is. Oh, yeah. honorable mentions your for art. art. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's there. Because I, I, I've come around to like, maybe I love Won't You Be My Neighbor because of the subject matter, and yeah. that's okay. That's okay. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at... Uh, DWT underscore podcast. YouTube. Stuff together. Tumblers. Stuff together. Letterboxd, Avery, ACT, and Kylie Gallisher. Letterboxd so is Derby, ACT, and Kylie Gallisher. Thanks so much for listening. I've been Josh. I'm uh, Kylie. Quack, 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 man, quack, quack, You're quack. just done with this. I'm Josh. Two hours. <laughs> quack, quack, quack.